And take good of everyone. Take good of And welcome to another episode. We are beginning chapter three this time. Very, very exciting. The Saint with Two Bodies. Very intriguing indeed. I've got with me Priyank and Chris. Let's hello. say hello. <laughs> hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. So we will jump straight in. Uh, to this one. So the title, The Saint with Two Bodies. I wondered how people felt when they first read this title. It's quite an evoking one, isn't it, for the mind? You know, it's quite intriguing. Um, And Priyank reminded us that there are many, as he puts it, crazy titles in the book. (laughs) Uh, So would you like to talk us through that? Yeah, <clears throat> some may think the title would be intriguing. To my mind, it's hard to remember what I thought about it all those years ago, but I, I think I would have thought of it as pretty insane, wacky, Delali, even with my um, <laughs> Indian background with all sorts of insane stories of the Hindu gods and goddesses um this uh, for me was pretty wild the spectrum of wildness probably like nine out of ten <laughs> but then I, I was thinking what about the other um other titles levitating saint is probably the uh equally not equally but not as bad probably what you say five out of ten for wildness six maybe sleepless <laughs> sleepless saint someone who doesn't sleep um, maybe four out of ten we some westerners insomniacs that are like that but this is obviously not an ins- insomniac someone that's uh, quite uh, advanced spiritually and then there was Gashi reborn and discovered for me that wasn't that wild because um, reincarnation is is uh, prevalent in my thought when I read it so that you probably put that as a lot five out of ten or something the Rama raised for the dead raised from the dead that's another Pretty wild one, <laughs> resurrection thoughts come to mind. Um, we'll probably put that as like a, a seven or an eight out of ten, maybe even nine. Um, materializing a palace in the Himalayas. Hmm. Hmm. do you score that, Lauren? I say, I've got to be really honest. None of these chapter titles surprise me at all, and I'm actually <laughs> shocked that you were so you know like wow about them. It just felt normal. <laughs> <laughs> So then we have to rate you on a scale of wildness then. I don't know. I just feel like it makes sense. You know, you're reading about a yogi. You're going to have these types of things. <laughs> really? And, yeah. And I think for me, like, I love the I love the whole realm of possibilities, right? So this is like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that does make sense. And I'm, I'm glad that someone's talking about it. Um. <laughs> wow, Lauren. You're the first person I've met that like read the autobiography and thought everything. You didn't think that, it would, well, just by the title, you thought it would be fine to proceed. Yeah, I'm more like, wow, I'm so intrigued. What's this, like, what's going to happen now? <laughs> it's a childlike sense of play, I guess. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? I guess what we're really talking about is the aspect of um, being at skeptical about what it is that we're, you know, what information we're receiving, right? And I would like to think that I'm a very skeptical person to the point of 
annoyance to some of the people like close to me because I do try to seemingly be seemingly I'm confrontational because I'm so skeptical about certain things but actually I'm more in the camp of what what you were saying Lauren maybe struggle to recollect exactly what I thought about the title but I accepted everything I was already with Guruji aligned with him and this was him sharing his experience which I accept wholeheartedly I was already there you know when I first read the book so it's funny actually the only thing that strikes me is that like how much I was already on board and you could be skeptical about that in, its, in itself and I suppose you could go on and on about being skeptical about why we do anything but I suppose it does strike me now looking back at how much I was in tune with exactly what Guruji was, was uh, what information he was giving me because normally I would be super skeptical about everything and you know any information I get. Mm, very interesting because the fact that both of you were um, pretty accepting and not too uh, freaked out by these titles um, puts credence to the there's a long thought uh, hypothesis out there amongst Indians, Hindus, that Westerners, Western, Westerners that take on Hinduism or parts of Hinduism, such as what we have in the West to Guruji's teachings, are more, um, they're more malleable, their brains are, the way they're thinking is they're more, uh, even more so than Indians, more able to, more, more receptive to it. So there's that, there's this whole theory out there in, amongst Indians and you two are proving that to be so Chris can I just add to this and I hope I don't ruffle feathers when I say this but how much of life do we not find striking enough i.e you know when I was growing up meat heavy meat intake you know was a was a common thing um living your life in certain ways, you know, alcohol intake is common. If you don't drink alcohol, you get the head tilt and the, you know, the inflection of the tones. Like what? Like why? Like you don't drink. Like you don't eat meat. You know, that's unusual in certain conditions. Um, so there's a lot that we could be skeptical about in life that we're not skeptical. So this felt normal to me. This felt reasonable, and actually, this sounded like truth to me. And there's other little things in my life like what I've just mentioned that probably rubbed me up the wrong way, but I didn't quite know why, because this, what we're going to talk about today, which maybe segues a little bit, but um, is the environment to which we keep is actually super important. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so the, the last one that I just said, which was materializing a palace in the Himalayas, for me, that was a 10 out of 10 in terms of wildness, especially mm -hmm after having even read the content <laughs> the content is as wild as the chapter <laughs> if, if not even more wild so you might raise it like call it a 10 on reading the title of the chapter when you read the chapter you've got to go 11 12 <laughs> out of 10 um yeah. yeah chris i think mike and i may have said that that was one of the most memorable chapters for the both of us uh, several episodes ago at the beginning we were saying you know which which stood out and it was the creative science chapter for me really kind of hit it home that there was a way out of 
let's say your own kind of personal hell that you might find find yourself in um, through mathematical precision as, as it were. But um, this chapter stood out to my, myself, and and I think Mike noticed noted it as well uh, as a favorite chapter of his, if I'm not mistaken. So there you go. With the madness, uh, seeming madness comes intriguing fascination. So hence why Guruji included it in the in the book, I imagine. Mm. And then the other two chapters I've put on this list is the material, um, the resurrection of Sri Yukteswar. Um, so the content of that is probably an 11 out of 10 again. And then the the, the woman who never reads chapter. All of mm -hmm. those were wild chapters for me. But coming back to um, this one, uh, the saint with two bodies. So I wanted to just let's briefly talk about our expectations of this chapter. Um, and then we can just talk about how we found this chapter as a whole before we delve into it, perhaps what bits we're looking forward to. Um, I don't know. Um, uh, my expectations from this chapter, as I said, it was, I thought it was going to be a bit wild, but then when I thought about it, I thought there was obviously going to be some uh, very mystical elements to it. Um, having Because this is the first, really, the first chapter of the three where there's... Um, he makes you dive all in on mysticism <laughs> chris you you would be forgiven if you thought there was something occult about this chapter but there's not really is there it's it it's quite um open but for me what i'm looking forward to dissecting and becoming a bit more intimately familiar with is guruji's reactions he's a child here and, and he does give you this story through the eyes of a child essentially so it's him coming upon the realities of the life of you know great saints and and enlightened and being so it he's given you this insight through through his eyes when he was a child so that that for me is really special i think um uh which we're going to delve into in in this episode uh, as, as well but for me it's it's a, a lovely intimate um, uh, relationship that you can build with Guruji. Uh, and this is one of the chapters that helps me do that. Mm. So, it's a very strange, having read the chapter, it's a very strange chapter. Um, <laughs> again, I read it again, obviously, for this podcast, because um, it's uh, to, to glean, to, to really get something out of it, you've really got to um, reflect. It's not something that it's obvious, like, you know, he talks about purpose of Kriya in some episodes and, you know, Lahiri Mahashai blessing him. So it's like obvious, you know, what the meaning is and what you should get out of it. For this one, the story in the arc, um, you know, how Lahiri Mahashai comes into it and, you know, so I'm Pranavananda telling us about his about his experiences with Lahiri Mahashai and the miracles, obviously, with the two bodies. It, yeah, really, I'm really looking forward to digging digging into this one because it wasn't from reading it it's not straight away apparent what lessons should be for us mm -hmm. and going on from that shall we dive in are yes. you ready yes so we have our title which is uh as Priyank says pretty wild but then it starts quite normally with uh Guruji, as a young boy, Mukunda, asking his father if he can take a trip, uh, a sightseeing trip to Banaras. Without coercion, he says, 
if I promise to return home without coercion, can I take a sightseeing trip? Um, and I thought that was uh, an interesting way to ask his father to go because he's really trying to appeal to that nature of, oh, we you know I'll, I'll come, you know, if I come straight home, can I go? And I feel like we all did that as children, didn't we? We would try to appeal to our parents to get that thing that we wanted. Um, I know I certainly did that. I used to write letters to my parents <laughs> whenever I wanted something and I'd try to use all the different techniques. Um, so yeah, it's, it's often found in young people, isn't it, Priyank? Indeed. But um, yeah, in the, the coercion element of this is, he's, I think he's referring to his um, ways of trying to flee and get to the mm. Himalayas after his vision of the Himalayan yogis. And then, you know, he kind of ran away with uh, Dwaraka Prasad, um, tried to, and um, this is in, in the previous chapter, and obviously Ananta caught him. So this is like, uh, you know, him trying to flee <laughs> because mm. he was, um, yeah, coercion was, was a factor in the previous chapter <laughs> mm. to come back. It, it is interesting here, he says quite quickly on that it was his love for travel was seldom hindered by his father. So um, whatever coercion he had to do, it was quite readily accepted by, by his father. So um, even with this threat of running away to the Himalayas, he's obviously had experience of being successful in, in doing these trips and doing these, uh, you know, travels with maybe presumably his his friends in tow but um his father was a strict disciplinarian in some ways but obviously given this freedom to roam and um it is it is nice to see isn't it like he he had faith in him and trusted him and he's obviously as we know an avatar so um he he would have been walking with god in in, in many cases so quite quite safe and secure maybe maybe his father mm. would have taken that into consideration to some extent as well do you think he wanted to go to Benares because that was the family home of Lahiri Mahashai and he wanted to go see or take a pilgrimage there because he calls it a sightseeing trip <laughs> but uh Guruji's father obviously knows what's in the the, the magic that's in Benares and um or Varanasi now it's called and um yeah and he but they don't mention it here so perhaps he went but didn't tell us yeah I was intrigued about that too because that detail isn't in there and I always thought oh what, what was he gonna actually see if this hadn't have happened what would his trip have actually looked like um but it's so interesting to me how he lived as a young boy how you know he goes on to say that he often traveled to cities and pilgrimage spots and he was permitted by his father to do this. And at this time he was 12 and younger. So it's almost unfathomable to me as uh, an English Westerner growing up in the time that I did, that just <laughs> that would not have happened for me at all. Um, I remember, you know, going to the shop with my sister on our own at the age of eight and you know, 11 was a was a massive thing, like, wow. So <laughs> For this to have happened and for him to have traveled so freely must have been really wonderful. Mm. What do you think, Priyank? Yeah, the it's a feature actually of um of the culture in India where 
youth are afforded a lot more freedom um mm. i'll give you an example like the the um, boys boys are allowed to drive their scooters on the road with or without a license um and the police don't seem to mind um they know that it's not going to be legal but it's just like this tolerated thing accepted thing um and like give taking that one step further so the, everyone usually just leaves their house doors open the door like um and in in most parts of india it's not like a a door that's you know a wooden door that's shut there's usually like a metal frame like a well you know bars so you can you know air can flow freely through so just open that and close it just and leave it ajar so everything is usually open and people just neighbors would wander in and out and it's a very different uh level of trust in india not just with and even with your own children like you, you won't know whether if if you live in in a little street with say 20 20 houses in the in the street they're all very very close to each other in especially in rural india um so you uh you, you if you have a you have, you have a child he'd he'd just roll into any of those houses and you wouldn't act any given at any one given time if he's not in your house you wouldn't know which of those houses he's in <laughs> But but just one brief uh, holler out the door and someone will say, yes, he's here. Or yes, I've fed him. Yes, he's sleeping in my room upstairs. It's really uh, quite uh, quite a romantic um, uh, way of life, actually, compared to how it is in the West. You know, Yogananda reportedly saw Los Angeles as the Benares of the United States due to there be something, there was something in the character that set it apart uh, as a destination for explorers of the soul. That's what it, what, what was said um, about Benares. So maybe he was going there as a, as a way of uh, exp, you know exploring the uh, the soul or the souls exploring things. But he he met um, Sri Yukteswar on, on the streets of Benares as well, right? So um, was that Benares? Regularly? I, I think I'm was... have to recall. I can't remember. I yes. think it may have been. So he, he obviously, you know, had this timeless link to, to Benares as a result uh, of that, if that is true, which I, I hope it is. I think it is. So <laughs> not many, many reasons for him to be drawn to Benares. And it also says in the chapter that, you know, when whenever he or his other family members, which he describes as nomads of the family, uh, which I liked, um, whenever they'd travel, they'd go first class because of his father's position in the railway, which must have been very lovely as a young boy, knowing that you were actually very cared for in, in your journey going. Um, but what I love is after he's made this appeal to his father and explained about this, his father says, yep, yeah, I'll give it some consideration. And then... The next day, not only does he summon Makunda and say, yes, you can go, but he actually hands him round trip tickets and uh, money and two letters. So not only has he gone to the effort of considering this for his child, he's actually gone further and made the effort to make sure that he's really looked after and that this is actually going to happen, which I think is really lovely. You know, as a parent to do that, to say, yes, you can go and, and here's everything you need. That's 
really beautiful. I, I thought it was interesting that, um, yeah, true, you know, how he caters, caters for his little whim of a wish to, to go to Benares, which is not, um, it's not just a aspiration that you can easily, as a father or a spiritual father, easily just shrug, shrug you know, shrug off your shoulder because it's a quite a spiritual aspiration isn't it so it's not it's something that he actually in his heart wants to encourage but obviously he's, he's a little he's a mere boy so i love the fact that um, his father slept on it and i think there's a little message in there for us often we make decisions very quickly um and the art of reflection and and in the art of reflection, overnight, for example, in his father's case, he he would have allowed, you know, the thought to dwell in his subconscious, and he would, you know, in his meditation, it would have been there in the background of the meditation. Perhaps even he may have had a conversation with God after his meditation practices, uh, you know, asking asking him, "Shall I send my son?" And God may have, you know, provided the response. But there's certainly something we can we should do with with most walks of our life that don't require a decision and an action there and then because that will allow us the maximum possibility of going on the path that goes towards our self-realization as opposed to just going on an egoistic whim uh, that mm. may be a imperfect response to a situation he was a single parent by this point right so um if the thought occurred to me if Yogananda's mother would have been there, would he have been given, you know, this freedom uh, to 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 roam and like the stereotype, of course, you know, would you would lean towards the no, uh, you know, mother <laughs> tends to be a little bit more protective over, um, and the father's stereotypically or generally a little bit more loose and and ready to take on, you know, risk uh, and and danger and things like this. But um, obviously, like Priyanka, I think what you said there hit the nail on the head. When you said um, maybe consult, let's say consulting with God, you know, meditating, I was more thinking about uh, the the wife, you know, trying. trying. <laughs> so that might have been the right thing, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm sure he was at peace with his decision. So, and not only does he let him go, but he gives him a very important task, which for a young boy of twelve, I think is quite admirable that his father trusted him with this matter or perhaps he also had some other insights about it who knows that's for speculation but he says that he has a business matter to propose to his friend uh, Kedar Nath Babu uh, but he's lost his address so he believes that he'll be able to get this letter through he says, a common friend, Swami, Swami Pranavananda, who's a brother disciple, which I think is interesting, uh, obviously under Lahiri Mahashai. So again, we're, we're bringing Lahiri Mahashai subtly into this, uh, this section. And yeah, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that little sec section there for a second. Yes, Priyank. Yeah, I just wanted to talk briefly about what Swami Pranavananda means. So Guruji spelled it Pranavananda, but um, in Sanskrit, it, the word is Pranav, Pranava. Uh, in, in, in Bengali, V's become B's 
left. So Ver becomes Bar for some reason. But so yeah, Prana is from the Prana, you know, the, the life force, the Prana. Um, uh, so Pranava is the is uh, is a practice of yoga which focuses on the Om techniques. So that is a potentially kind of practice, perhaps that he was uh, working on. Um, Om Om meditation technique is something that we obviously have in self-realization fellowship perhaps uh, he was a master of that hence uh, uh, Lady Masha may have named him Swami Pranavananda Pranabananda it would have been interesting to have had that in a footnote because then you do you do get an insight as to like who, who this soul is in this body you know um but his father does go on to say that um, he has an exalted spiritual stature, which just paints a really, really powerful image of who this soul is. You know, it, it's, it's not going to be a usual trip to see a, a friend, you know. Um, yeah, Chris. It, it also spoke to me a little bit about uh, Yukonanda's father himself to recognize the exaltation in in one generally to me would mean that you can see it reflected in yourself to a degree um and we know that he was dedicated very much dedicated to his practice when in uh, retreated nightly to practice his kriya so um to me it, it speaks of as we're going to again talk about uh, in, in a bit with good company you know, there's there's somebody himself who's probably quite enlightened, um, uh, and you know we can talk about the degree of that. You know what evidence we have for the degree of it, but it really spoke uh, to me very highly of of uh, Bhagavati himself. How how do you mean, Chris? Uh, scratching beneath the surface of what you just said. So if I was fortunate enough to be in the presence of Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, I'd hope I'd see his exalted spiritual nature. Um, have a, you know, maybe not. I don't know. If if you didn't know who, who he was, I don't know. Uh, so say I did see his exalted spiritual nature. Um, are you suggesting that then somehow that's also reflected in me? Yes. How quite, so? Quite, quite literally, I think, um, because you know, you could the horse can be led to water, but it might not drink or ignorance might cloud all judgment and how how many stories could you think about where even in the autobiography of a yogi or yogananda has told us that you could be amongst throngs of crowds and it's chaos and maybe that's quite an apt description of india in some ways from what people have told me i haven't been there myself but there's you know there's chaos there's there's people but it, amongst the chaos there's still divine saints and divine saintly people and if you're attuned you'll be able to recognize and see this and there was actually a comment um by one of the listeners that we had somewhere to this effect where um i had made a comment about northern ireland not being able to see many saints kind of walking around in garbs and you know, things like this and there was a nice comment by one of the listeners to say yeah but don't be essentially don't be fooled because there are many people walking around having done create or initiations in some way maybe more secret secretive terms so 
um yeah that maybe... was the email i think the email i think she she said um she knows of um at least some ministers that are taking lessons um in private from the clergy less srf self-realization fellowship lesson lessons so uh, in the probably uh, protestant churches in northern ireland and uh, they're taking lessons there you go Amaz amazing <laughs> like you could talk about that for an hour but essentially <laughs> my, my point is maybe the radar of your own spiritual radar is something that we can all work on, like the intuitive intuitive sense of being able to recognize divinity in others. Yogananda talks about maybe going in to see saintly individuals, and he himself would try to get into a meditative, a real meditative state, and then enter, you know, enter a room. I think with the story of, I, I forget the name, but the lady with Teresa um, Teresa Neumann. Yeah. Neumann. Yes. Um, that was one example. So that's what I'm more thinking of that you can get yourself into these states and recognize divinities in others. Mm. Well, there is also that school of thought that we experience the world as we are and all that we experience and see are merely reflections of us uh, in our current state. So I suppose if, if we can see the divinity in others and we can see that exalted nature, then that is existent in, in our very being. And if we think about what we are, you know, souls born of the divine, then yes, of course. I mean, it may be clouded in so many layers that we aren't yet able to live fully in that way. But yeah, I feel like there's definite power in, in that, what you've said, Chris. I, going back to the, the story um, where um, Bhagavati, he obviously has to raise his son alone as both mother and father and uh, by now he's got more than an inkling and pro probably he knew about the prophecy as well that Lahiri Mahashaya um, had had given about young Mukunda when he was a baby that he'd be a spiritual engine so he he knew and obviously the embers the the little sparks of the the, the of Yogananda's desire to you know, to, to for the spiritual path were was very apt. You know, he just tried to recently tried to run away to the Himalayas, so he had to. But he obviously had a responsibility as a father as well as a you know disciple of the Himalaya because uh, you needed to raise him. Obviously, um, but there are you know in, in India there's, there's something they call, they're called Bala Yogis where where they li literally they express their yogi nature in in childhood and. <clears throat> they leave home in their childhood <laughs> as yogis um, and uh, they're called Bali yogis and, and there's many of those you'll see them in India and or, so he he's he's trying to tackle these two things he's trying to let Yogananda flourish spiritually by exposing him to Swami Pranavananda um, but also at the same time uh, give him some responsibilities so don't just run what i don't want you to be a bali yogi basically you've got some you've got some spiritual engineering work to do as a spiritual engine <laughs> to the to the masses so he has to raise him in a in a way that he he stays within the confines of uh of a society so like i think he just manufactured this task so he 
said to you know he, he like yes okay he wants to go to Varanasi he's obviously going to go see Lodi Marsha his um you know temple or home um Swami Pranavananda is, is just there let me you know show him someone who is genuine rather than him having to seek out you know uh random random yogis and swamis of which there's thousands if not tens of thousands in India so he kind of like directs him but then gives him a task that's uh he gives, he's got definite task to do not just roam to the Himalayas so it kind of does the two things of you know facilitating his spiritual ardor and then also like guideposting it in a way that's structured and allows him to to grow because as a 12 year old now you have like a job you know when you're young and you, your parent gives you a job you're so you're so especially a job like this giving a letter to someone it's such an exciting job that you'd be like you'd really want to make sure you do correctly mm-hmm. yeah absolutely wouldn't you imagine your father's just given you a letter of business purposes to give to a friend and then you're going to manage to complete that through meeting a swami <laughs> like that's that's no normal uh, ask is it of you know a usual say uh childhood so yeah it's it's interesting so you know the father's got a letter for him to hand for business purposes and he's also got a letter of introduction that he gives to Mukunda to say you know this is will say who you are but what i what really jumped out at me in this section is he said um, you will benefit by his company, talking about Swami Pranabhananda. And there's a definite lesson here too. Um, you know, the, the importance of being around those of, uh, who exude divine qualities and who, who are good company is, is often talked about in many different uh, aspects, but particularly in, in this path that we're on. Um, yeah, Priyank. Yeah, much. I've really <clears throat> taken this to heart, this teaching. I've since becoming a Griyavan, actually, I've changed my friendship circle. Um, like 90% of my friendship circle is pretty much gone. And that was because of this. And my wife thought I was being really cruel <clears throat> in doing that because very long friendships I've I've kind of let dwindle away but um in you know i've really taken this teaching to heart and i must say it's it's done wonders because i just remember you know she she says oh it's not it's not nice to like you know have such long such a close relation that you've had to just you know go away to step away from it but then i reminded her i remember this conversation i said okay so think about the last three meetings that we had and we, we usually met at you know at a restaurant or out in the city. And think about the conversation we had, and, you know, the energy of the place, and where what what that was compared to what we're trying to achieve in our lives and in our spiritual path. And it's completely at odds. <laughs> mm. You know, we're not here to socialize. <laughs> that might be a, a benefit. You know, you might have some fun socializing, but. Is, isn't it infinitely better to socialize in a spiritual company such as what we have on this podcast or such as Lauren, what we have 
after a young adults meeting when we go to a cafe um, down the road um, it is infinitely better what's the conversation how's the energy it's just mm. you know everything then if you set up your life in this way where everything is supporting you spiritually then it becomes easier becomes more seamless there's much less inertia um there's much <laughs> that's much more willingness from from you as well as you know the company that you're hanging around with chris i'm, I'm nodding my head like a churchill dog <laughs> <laughs> which no one else will know chris no one Wait, else just... none of our audience will know what you're talking about you must explain. Oh, the Churchill. Oh, oh, gosh, can I even explain? You know, people you're calling you're, people think you're calling Churchill a dog right now. Churchill a dog, yeah, which people might agree with. To be <laughs> fair, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is not what this podcast. We're not, not, we're not calling good. people dogs. Go on, Chris. No, no, explain no, this. It. Is a positive <laughs> idea. Um, the oh, do, there's yes. A, there's oh a, yes. There's a exactly. There's um, what, a bulldog. There's a bulldog. Uh, caricature that uh, is was made famous. This is a segue upon segues, isn't it? Uh, made famous by was it an insurance company uh, and TV adverts? You know, reigned supreme with this little Churchill nodding dog, you know, like the nodding dog, nodding characters that you can buy for your car, and you know, with the big bobbly heads and things like this, and, it, and the head just nods in agreement to everything that they were saying was good about this insurance company thing. <laughs> so it's uh it's becoming uh it's, it's become a thing isn't it in the uk <laughs> everyone knows yeah, about the churchill dog british uh, uk thing yeah mm. no one else would know thank thank you for him for calling on <laughs> good so, good yeah, mike's uh, not here mike would be like what, what are you guys talking about <laughs> even though he was here for a few years <laughs> yeah so I was nodding away in agreement, and it sounded you know what what you were saying it, i could have said myself i could have by by verbatim said what you said Frank, because i've experienced the same thing you know with conversations with my wife with my friends and i have to add something to it and the reality is is actually for me it was quite painful a painful emotional experience where my ego was trying to hold on but my the better sense my better judgment was telling me was guiding me you know toward the truth toward what we were saying which was um the distance that you have physically does not mean one through love you know it doesn't mean you love them less you love them even potentially even more and it's funny when i was going through this period of say separation from my old group of friends and i've talked about this in the podcast before where my life kind of collapsed and my job i left my job at the girlfriend at the time you know we, we separated and all my friend groups just vanished and it was a blessing really in, in in disguise at the time it didn't feel like that but um i was then reading one of the lessons and in the lessons i think it may have been lesson number 30 or something in the old lessons something something like that guruji then said and it just so happened to be at the time i was struggling just so happened to be the next lesson i read it was saying hey you know you've got you've got to love people if you love them you have to let them go in a sense don't don't cling on to to people in that sense if they're if they're parting ways if your paths are diverging keep steady on your path um so yeah it's i, I was nodding my head in in complete agreement with what you're saying Frank. it is I'll, it is a harder line but it's the line worth, worth taking i'll shake my head in 
contradiction to a little bit of what you just said. So I think you you said you were doing yourself a disservice. You were saying, um, you know, you, the ego is holding on and you you don't want to like eradicate these these relationships. I would say I, I, I don't think it was your ego. It was probably your, you know, the empathy you have because you knew that, um, you know, disconnecting yourselves from these these group of friends would actually be quite it would be quite painful for them so you know your your love and understanding me on the other hand being a little bit more heartless and a bit more detached <laughs> i had no such empathy but you i think you made such a good point because um so i didn't find it that difficult but you made such a good point because um it, it's not that you love them less or that you don't love them uh, it's 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 it is you know you, you do continue that relationship you know you often you, they'll be in your prayers afterwards it's just what they were before and I still do think about those beautiful friendships that I have it doesn't mean that yeah they're, they're a central part of my life transformed mm. yeah and don't forget like we have karmic bonds with these people you know and sometimes those bonds are incredibly strong even though we know they're not necessarily uh currently providing a higher spiritual fulfillment you know and sometimes you do just have to learn to step away from that and put yourself in environments that really do help you in your journey and I think it's very important especially in the beginning it's one that I've been particularly <clears throat> learning these past few months year or so the lesson has well and truly sunk in now um <laughs> intriguing say, intriguing yes uh, but that, that's for another time <laughs> but on this subject of being in good company chris found some really really lovely pieces of writing um and i think it would be really useful for everybody listening and for us as well to read them and to let them sink in so chris take it away Sure. So th this is uh, the essence of self-realization, um, a little transcript um, from that. Uh, so do delve into that book if you want to hear more about this kind of thing. Um, and it goes, the company you keep is important. If you leave your coat in a room where people are smoking, pretty soon it will smell smoke. If you leave it outside in the garden later on when you bring it indoors, it will carry with it a fragrance of fresh air and flowers. Such is the case with the mind. Your garment of thoughts absorbs the vibrations of those with whom you mix. If you mingle with pessimists in time, you will become a pessimist. And if you mingle with cheerful, happy people, you yourself will develop a cheerful, happy nature. That's by Yogananda. The, um... So that's, I think, as a bit of a, a lesson for us on this podcast, because um, the listeners are mingling with us, and in some way, we with them. So let us never be pessimistic on this podcast. <laughs> we don't want to put that energy out there for the rest of eternity to uh, in the in the uh, internet ether. <laughs> um, the essence of self-realization is that. A, is that a book, Chris? Um, yeah, it was the something titled "The Essence of Self-Realization." I, I find um, find online, and I, I need to dig into it a little bit more. But 
Um, it may have been just the title of a transcript of a speech that I gave. Ah, okay, it's right. Titled that way, but this is um, right. So he says, and then he, then he carries on saying, environment is stronger than willpower. To mix with worldly people without absorbing at least some of their worldliness requires great spiritual strength. Beginning on the spiritual path, especially beginners on the spiritual path, especially, should be very careful in the company they keep. They should mix with other devotees and try not to mingle with ego-saturated worldly people. They should especially avoid people who are negative, even if those people are devotees. Whether one becomes a saint or a sinner is to a great extent determined by the company he keeps. So this is actually the essence of self-realization, which is a book, The Wisdom of Paramahansa Yogananda by uh, Kriyananda. That's what this one is. <laughs> mm. Very powerful as well, isn't it? Very true. We can all take something from it as well. Yeah. Um, so following that, um, let's let's do a little summary in case our readers and listeners have got lost along the way so Mukunda's asked to go on a sightseeing trip to Banaras and um his father has taken the consideration said yes handed him a letter uh for business purposes to be handed to his friend Kadar Nath Babu which his address he cannot find so he's going to have to go to Swami Pranabhananda and uh, he then hands a second letter to Mukunda and says this will be your introduction as to who you are um, and then he says mind no more flights from home with uh, twinkling eyes so that's where we're at in the point so far I think Priyank might have a little something to add here Yes, you know, Guruji, yep. even so, even as a boy, and this story is an example here, he had he had a strong um, desire to travel. Um, what do you guys think of that for us? Do you think we should um, fan our desire to go see places, see the world, travel? be a divine roaming gypsy um i I'm, I'm, i've always been unsure i've always thought that um you know guru, the this the path is so much about being like living a simple life and not needing to have all these material things and needing to go out after all these experience outward experiences um so i always thought our oh, traveling maybe falls into that category where it's taking you like kind of away from 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 what you're what you're doing on this path but then sometimes when you do travel you have these magical experiences that you wouldn't have had if you had not traveled so i'm in i'm in two minds about it um and being the um personality that i am i i, I prefer the austere path usually which is the one that doesn't require any traveling for any purpose whatsoever but uh, I don't follow that unfortunately <laughs> Chris I think the answer to this to my mind um, is it depends 
a bit of advice that I had previously, which I thought was really great, which is which is um, follow your highest excitement. And if something excites you, there's maybe in the essence of that is a calling to something, a calling to adventure, a calling to you know come across a path of a love you know loved one which for me you know is how I essentially I met my wife and I you know you're talking talking to me an Irish guy that lived in London and now lives in Brazil uh you know on an eco village so very much travel has been a, a core part of of my life uh in recent years um so I, th I think yes in, in general I think it's very healthy for people to travel and broaden the minds and see you know see different peoples of you know different cultures and be able to understand and love more broadly than maybe some some siloed love where you only love the, the nation of which you were born in or something like that you know um because when you when I traveled the thing that I saw is people are the same you know no matter where you go so you know it kind of dissolves this idea of nations and borders and ideas of us and them and things like this so i think it's pretty healthy overall um but in general i i accept your point frank i think um maybe you should focus more on on the the, the higher priorities in life and that's a very engineering kind of approach but guruji for one you know he, he led by example he, he was enthralled and excited and you know followed this passion and, and and desire that he had to explore and see see uh see, see have new experiences essentially so he knew from a young age as well he was going going to uh you know do do these things he had visions and things like this so um he was probably following those visions but um i think it depends if, if it's something that speaks to your heart then you know go for it you never know what's around the corner very very well said but chris if I'm traveling uh, and I miss out on practices because I'm on a plane or I can't do my practices as well because I'm traveling or, you know, I'm in a hotel or taxis or whatever, um, doesn't that then hinder, hinder, should you be going on holidays that only, like, I just, obviously I've just spent a, a few weeks in India, as you guys know, and my wife and I were just, we were on this chaotic road trip that was 6,000 kilometers from from north to the south of India and and back again and we were so we were every day we were on the road for driving for four or five hours and um we were getting like like we were getting behind and we were doing our practices in the morning and my wife said oh should we um should we shorten up should we leave early um she didn't say shorten our practices she said should we leave earlier and I said uh, if we leave earlier, then I know that I'm going to squish my practices. I'm going to try and get up earlier, but effectively what's going to happen is I'm going to spend less time doing my practices. And and I, and I said, basically, there's no excuse, if especially if you're on a holiday where you can pick the agenda. There's no excuse for you to miss your practice. <laughs> so we, we didn't. And every day we were falling behind, we were falling behind, but we stood firm on not missing our practices um but going back to chris something you said about your um you know as a northern irishman going 
now spending or you know settling in in Brazil this is something that I'll go back to that previous point I said about you know the western mindset being more amenable to the, these principles of you know these, these grand principles of you know being detached and being able to just go where the wind takes you where you know where god is directing you because an indian an indian mindset um does not allow such things it it more is very restricted you know this is your job this is where you live this is who you marry this is your this is your relationship with your parents and it's very very fixed whereas like you know so but uh, for me, doing what you're doing, just you know, leaving my one life and just starting a new thing is just it's, it's, it just wouldn't doesn't sit well with me because I'm so restricted in the way I you know my my mental makeup is. But you you guys can do it so uh, you know nonchalantly, so with so much ease and so much freedom. It's uh, it's quite a beautiful thing actually. It's something that uh, Indians Indian Indians very much admire about the Western mindset. I don't know if Irish people fall into this Western mindset that you're that you're espousing, um, because <laughs> it's it's something that everybody's more shocked at that I'm doing than than anything to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I feel like a divine, I would say divine gypsy myself. But I feel like more just the gypsy. I think at times because um, often I've fallen into the trap of my meditations and practices, um, you know, uh, falling to the wayside. And, um, I lived on a boat as well. I was, I was a, I was a, uh, literally a gypsy at one point, um, living on a boat in a canal in, in London, um, and that was that was tough. Like that was a lifestyle decision because I was building that boat with no electricity and running water for for months uh, whilst I was working doing all sorts of things. So definitely, the more you take on in life, the you know, in responsibilities and things, the more it can encroach on spiritual um dedication i found that i found that very tough i have to say i thought you were more speaking to me and poking 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 me <laughs> Priyank, in not your, this time in your, yeah uh, in your book for for many many months um it it was a very big distraction for me so um and admittedly it did put me off for some time but set me behind in, in my practices and only now, after some uh, some significant amount of months, uh, am I back into a, a better routine where my life has stabilized? Um, so uh, it's it's taken some time to 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 get that back after you know crazy amount of traveling and change in, in my life. So so yeah, I mean it's it's a very real, uh, I would say threat you know to your spiritual um, life and practice because you go astray slightly you know, in several years time, you could be quite far off where you really want to be. So it, it is a, it is a real question mark, but that's where, that's where this kind of community that what we're doing is actually so essential um, to, for me to have kept me anchored. Uh, you know, when I was traveling, I didn't have the center in London center to go to, and that was an anchorage in my life. But now we have this community, I suppose, you know, us, us coming together and that's an, an, an anchor for me, spiritual anchor. So uh, yeah, good company uh, in in the virtual sense is is extremely important as well in this modern era, era of traveling. Mm. Mike's uh, Mike's traveling right now. He's in Florida, which is why he can't be on this podcast. Mm. But um, yeah, he he would uh, he has a very very as much as Guruji a very strong affinity for traveling. So uh, I'm glad he's not uh, here for this conversation because he would have beat my question down he's like no you must travel <laughs> lauren 
If I may, I'm just going to delve into the uh, specificities of the language of your question, Priyank, about the desire for travel. Because I've had a little look through just this little section that we're reading. And never does he write that he desires to travel. He mm. writes that he has a love for travel. He says that he delights in seeing these scenes and new faces, but there's no desire. And really, I feel that we are walking the desireless path. That's the goal, really, to not have any desires that pull you back for any, any lives, you know, that's it, cut them off. So I feel that, you know, if you have a love for travel, fair enough. But I'm, I'm with you both, you know, that as long as it doesn't take away from the purpose of your divine goal, then fine, delight in, in those new scenes. But the, I think once we start desiring, that's the tricky, uh, tricky point. Would, would uh, traveling potentially have a strong spiritual accelerate? degree in it as well because we've potentially i would i would assume that we have had many incarnations we've lived through mm. many nations or you know uh, we've we've inhabited many different countries and cultures in the world so maybe when you're traveling potentially for, for all we know we could be going to places we've been kind of moving through some past karma and kind of working through that you know i found when i was traveling with my wife there are moments when you know things might get heated out of nowhere seemingly and I thought oh that's that's kind of strange I wonder wonder if there's something a little bit deeper to you know being in a certain place mm. uh, with somebody and trying to you know trying to uh, be the best that you can be and think you know I, I, th I think it all maybe kind of comes full circle but I think it really very much depends on the individual but um certainly with Guru yeah. he's he's lived many lives and um he he uh, he made his travels spiritual you know he's not mm. going to take himself he's on a beach in thailand somewhere in <laughs> <laughs> he's, Chris, I mean, yeah you talked about your previous births i thought you were a rebirth virgin i thought you were brand new <laughs> how, do, how do you say it prank when you're <laughs> you're you're you're, uh, you're not incarnated you're resurrected but that, okay. I, don't, I don't think we fall into that category. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, neither. Um. But there is something to that, Chris. I have to say, like in my own experience, you know, I've lived in different lands for short periods of time. And, you know, there are particular places on this earth that whenever I return to, I feel a stronger connection with myself. And that really has sparked some very changing, life-altering insights for me. And had I not had that experience, then, yeah, I don't know if I'd be where I am now. So like, it all kind of feeds in, doesn't it, to one. And I think the intellectual mind, perhaps, will never truly know. But... Um, Lauren, are you, talking anyway. about, are you talking about Essex, Kent and Surrey and places like that? <laughs> no, <laughs> I lived in Spain nothing, for a very, nothing, very wrong, short time. Nothing wrong with those places. <laughs> no, no. Do, but it's funny, really... it's funny how lands affect you, you know, like when I, I lived in Spain for like a very short time, it was only like a couple of weeks. Um, that was incredible. 
that changed my whole life. But then I lived in Greece for a longer time. And for me, energetically, that wasn't aligning at all. And I could feel that actually that was pulling me further away from where I was meant to be. So, you know, everything's energy, isn't it, really, in a sense. And um, we just have to attune ourselves to the one that's most serving for our life. But anyway, we digress quite a lot, don't we? We will get back onto the story. <laughs> we always say that we're never going to segue, and here we are again. Um, so his father said yes, and he sets forth with the zest of his 12 years, as he says. And as he reached Banaras, um, he said he proceeded immediately to the Swami's residence and the front door was open. No surprise from what Priyanka's told us uh, about life over there. And he made, made his way to a long hall-like room on the second floor. I found this very intriguing that not only did he go in so boldly, but maybe that's a, a cultural thing that I didn't understand, but also that he knew to go to the second floor. I don't know about you, but if I went somewhere new, I'd probably just stand in the hallway and kind of look <laughs> around a little bit aimlessly, thinking, is someone going to come out anytime soon? Um, so, yeah, I found that interesting. And I wasn't sure if there was something to that, perhaps. And Chris, what do you think? I actually don't know if this is anything really related to do with what you're asking, but when I first read this, The Matrix is a very... Fond, like I'm very fond of the Matrix movies. <laughs> um, and reading this and kind of picturing what was going on, you know, in this scene reminded me of a scene out, out of the Matrix in some way. There's like a very long stretch of a corridor. And, you know, there's this enlightened kind of mystical, you know, being there give, on, on unlocking something within you, you know, on giving giving Guruji this, you know, spiritual experience ultimately that we're about to go into in, in a sense. Um, it, it was very Matrix-like-esque for me, you know, <laughs> this <laughs> kind of silly, but, you know, in the in those movies, they're guided, aren't they? They're kind of guided by this sense of, like, purpose or the sense of, of you know, knowing what to do and being in the right place at the right time. So so just to link it back to what you're asking, um, yeah, maybe, maybe he was, maybe it was obvious, maybe there was, like, a kind of uh, a signed like upstairs or something that you know, he, he doesn't tell us about um but maybe it was obvious to go up to the second floor there's nothing on the first floor of 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 Houston so um but no I maybe he was more guided uh, as to where to go um that's my fanciful fanciful take yeah this this whole rudeness you know the west you know the western con notion of it being rude to Im impose yourself on someone or going to someone's home without their permission is very much less there in India, very much uh, less prominent, especially, in, as I say, in rural rural India, because, uh, as I say, there's, there's open door policy and he kept his, op his door open, his door was open. Um, and, you know, you're within your rights to go in and if if you don't knock you, you'd go call you'd go in and call <laughs> if there's no one downstairs you check upstairs <laughs> he was probably used to having many guests as well right you know this is somebody who i'm sure many people would have gone to for console and uh gone to you know for taking in wisdom and learnings lessons so 
maybe it was somewhat of a well-trodden path and um you know swami might always keep his door open for for uh for visitors uh and yogananda was kind of following following the the flow uh, that had already been in place potentially mm, yeah for sure and then he goes on to describe who he saw i'd actually like to read this out verbatim because I, th I think it's it's quite a lovely description gives us a lot of what we need to know so it says a rather stout man wearing only a loincloth was seated in lotus posture on a slightly raised platform his head and unwrinkled face were clean shaven a beatific smile played about his lips to dispel my thought that i had intruded he greeted me as an old friend baba anand which means bliss to my dear one Ah, and Priyank is holding up a picture of said saint for those who can see it. For those who can't, the description again gives gives that image. And the picture is in life. the picture is in the book, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I loved I loved the description. I thought it was really, really touching. Um, but not only that, I, I loved the greeting. I loved the first word uttered. You know, and I, I wondered if it was a, a greeting that he would say, or if it was actually a blessing that he was bestowing. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. Uh, listeners, you can give us your two pence on this. Um, but yeah, it's quite special. The way um, the brackets are in after, so it, it says Baba Anand. Um, which means uh, Baba means you know um, a saint, um, and Anand is bliss. So his, uh, and then in brackets it says bliss to my dear one, which would imply that he's saying he's offering Anand or bliss to this saintly mm. figure who is Mukunda, um, which is a very strange um, uh, greeting actually. Um, not one that I've encountered in India, actually, in that in that way, because um, you'd, yeah, yeah, it's there. So, so perhaps there, then, in in that, he's actually recognizing Mukunda's status, actually, mm. uh, because it's not uh, it's not a normal, it's not a, in India. That's not a normal uh, greeting, as it were, to especially to a to a boy. Yeah. Although he did have quite a clairvoyance, didn't he? Quite a mm. spiritual insight. So it wouldn't be surprising, mm. um, as we're about to find out. Um, so uh, Mukunda, you know, touches his feet, um, kneels down, touches his feet, and he asks, Are you Swami Pranabhananda? And he nodded. Yeah, Priyank. Before we get to that, I thought we'd uh, yes. just talk a little bit about the, um, the raised platform that he was sitting on. Ah, yes, yes um so that would kind of imply that he probably held satsangs satsangs is um uh basically a fellow fellowship with a saint as uh, you might call it a satsang and so he probably had people as Lili Mahashai did around his home uh to, to seek out his blessings and he probably gave discourses um and we know i think um that he wrote, uh, he had a commentary on on a scripture, I believe, uh, on the Gita or something. Um, so he he was learned in that way. So he probably did hold satsang. So that is why 
you'd have a raised platform in that way uh, so um people sitting can can kind of see you yeah lauren mm. but going off of that interestingly it's only slightly raised mm. it's not as if it's like a, a big stage that we would you know go to in the theater it's just ever so slightly up um i wonder yeah. actually just you know coming off of my thoughts now if that has something to do with you know um the the disconnect from the energy that runs through the ground if you've then mm. got another platform that is absorbing that as well that could actually potentially be of use to you yes. uh, when meditating uh, that's just speculation i'm not sure but no it's, sort it's of feels it's correct very good speculation that's the truth that guruji talks about insulating when meditating yeah. insulating yeah. yourself from the floor and other things like yeah. that to uh, kind of cocoon your energies as you mm. meditate um yes and, and the other thing i wanted to just talk about is that his head it was his head and unwrinkled face were clean shaven um so that means he shaved his hair off um uh which is in stark contradiction to how guruji had long hair Mm. um now saints they they say that uh when you're on the spiritual path you should uh well well um monks do anyway they 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 they're requested to shave off their hair and lauren discoes the females as well mm. um so you'll see indian indian um saints with with no hair as well um so one one reason is to you know prevent vanity type uh, things but the energy reason is that um when you shave off your hair and obviously that sprouts new growth uh, the focus and the attention will naturally go in that direction so like even without thinking or practicing it, your energies are naturally directed upwards um, and especially on the on the crown of the head um so but that doesn't apply to a uh, self-realized master, obviously, like uh, Yogananda. And they, there's, there's some science about why certain saints, such as uh, Yogananda, realized masters, keep their hair and their beard. Um, and that's to do with their kind of divine status and anchoring, anchoring themselves so as to uh, stay as opposed to you know they're they're in that um cosmic consciousness pretty much all the time so they have to anchor themselves <laughs> mm, yeah i thought also there was something that once one had shaved their head it was also a denotion of you know that's the start of your spiritual journey uh, like your, your true commitment to that path of of becoming one so when the hair grows perhaps the longer it the longer it is it denotes your spiritual advancement i've heard somewhere i'm not sure if that is true but uh, i can imagine if you have been practicing an extremely long time and have done and you have shaved your head and, and you are you are um becoming more absorbed in your true self day by day that as one's hair grows that all feeds in um who knows um again speculation <laughs> um but yes it is um it's an interesting one isn't it um 
So yeah, he asks, are you Swami Pranabhananda? And he nods, which I think is interesting that he asks. Um, and to which he replies, are you Bhagavati's son? His words were out before I had time to get father's letter from my pocket. And apparently he was in astonishment at this moment. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> Priyank was saying that perhaps, um, oh, I don't know if he did actually say that. I thought you said at one point that he looked very much like his mother. So perhaps that was the reason why he thought. Uh, I'm wondering if it's his clairvoyance, but maybe <laughs> it's, a, it's a mixing of the two. Um, and then uh, this Swami goes on to say, of course, I will locate Kedar Nath Babu for you. And it says, the saint again surprised me by his clairvoyance. He glanced at the letter and made a few affectionate references to my parent. Imagine being in that moment. Very, very special. Um, I wonder if he even, Mukunda even bothered to give him the, the letters. I'm not sure he would after that. Um, yeah, it's a very, very powerful moment between the two. Um, I'd be curious to hear any insights from the listeners as to how you felt when you read it. Uh, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, the, the, con the context of this, of course, is that Yogananda is traveling and he's a young boy. Um, so he's, he's walking around, taking in all the sights. Everything's new and he's probably very excited, happy to be traveling. Um, and there's a lot of information to take in when you're traveling. And it can be quite overwhelming at times. Frank talked about traveling. I don't think it, traveling necessarily is for everybody if you're not of that mindset to be open um, to, to taking in this, essentially this information, this tidal wave of information um, with, with new sites. And, and then he comes in and he's greeted uh, by the saint who is going to shock him you know, in a couple of different ways that uh, we won't cover in this episode, but this is the beginning of that experience for him. So he's, you know, he's taken in this information and, and this is just him assimilating everything, right? He's trying to assimilate all this information. So, so in a sense, maybe the yogi was preparing him for, for what may was, you know, was to come because he could have easily, waited and you know opened the letter and kind of played a little bit like mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 you know i know, you know yes I, I see what you want and you know let, let me you know he could have played it differently right but he didn't he was quite direct and i think this was just this moment of preparing him for taking the plunge in the in the in the pool of reality of, of what it means to be a, a yogi and uh, a true yogi a, a, a saint and a, um so maybe, maybe this was in some way intuitive, um, uh, intuitively getting Yogananda, a young Mukunda, ready for, for the experiences to, to come in quick succession as well. Mm. And on that, I feel like that's a really good note to leave this episode on because we are about to delve into what happens next. It's extremely... I mean, there are no words. It's it's really ineffable. It's but it's very very intriguing, and there is lots to come in 
the rest of the chapter that we can deep dive into. Um, I believe Priyank has a few words to say. Yeah, just quickly, the Kedar Anath is obviously a person here, but he's that name is a very cool name. Kedarnath is uh, probably the most important temple in India. It's a Shiva temple. So Kedarnath means it's a kind of a, a affiliated with Shiva. It's like the, the Lord, the Lord of the, the, the plain or the, the land or the fields is Kedarnath. And that's what uh, his name means. So another shout out to um, the naming of uh, all these people in, in the autobiography of Yogi, because and also in India, because there's strong roots with uh, mantra, as we talked about in the past episode, and with, um, you know, having someone's name that's close to the word, words that are close to divinity. And naturally, it's like an affirmation that we, you know, every time you say the name, it's both an affirmation for you and for the person that's receiving it to go towards the origins of what that what that name is. So it's a very cool name, like Mukunda. Mukunda's name that's uh, the one of the names of Krishna is Mukunda. So uh, you refer to Krishna as that um, as child Krishna. So uh, that's Guruji's birth name, um, and yeah, uh, that's a, a nice. Um, it's a nice way to think about all those names that are in the autobiography of Yogi. That they've got some cool meanings which you can scratch beneath the surface um uh so you may not have thought of that when you saw the name but there's a very deep uh, meaning for that name yeah i have to say i really really love how much um in, like really valuable information you give to this podcast Priyank every time I feel like I'm in school but in the best way and it's it's it honestly I absolutely love it I love learning and I feel that it's really valuable to have because you know there's so much beyond just what we read and yeah thank you so much for sharing I don't talk too much about no, <laughs> not at all. If anything, more, please. <laughs> Maybe we should yeah. have a, a school with Priyank where you no. can. Um... <laughs> it's much more, much more uh, enlightened people. Um, but together, I did a, a vlog on Kedarnath Temple, um, mm. which uh, we'll post on there for you. Because I yes. went there, I went there on a pilgrimage a few years ago. Mm. And on that note. Um, Chris was wondering about giving everyone homework. We're, we're back on the, the school trend. Um, I would say for our listeners, I don't know if you two agree, but I would say the homework would be to read the rest of the chapter instead of a specific chunk, purely because a lot is about to take place and it might be worth digesting it before we delve deeper. Um, if you're not able to read it, please don't worry. We're going over it in great depth and detail um, as we go on um, so yeah thank you all so much for joining us for this episode do let us know your thoughts and we really really look forward to sharing space with you again jai guru jai guru, jai guru.